What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I'm your host, JT. We got a really exciting episode today. We're going to be discussing the NFL's biggest boomer bust teams going into this year. What teams could end up being really good or end up being really bad? Will the New York Jets survive their first half schedule? They have a really tough schedule to start this season. And I've been hearing a lot of people in the national media talk about it. I think the Jets are going to be a little bit better than what people are giving them credit for. And we're also going to be talking some college football. How good is LSU going to be this year? Can they repeat as SEC West champions? And will Oklahoma have a better season year two under head coach Brett Venables? Before we get into it, if you haven't already, make sure that you go ahead, like the video, subscribe to the channel. We go live every day at 5 p.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday. Listen to the JT Sports Podcast. We're not just available on YouTube. You can find us on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find the JT Sports Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, leave us with a five-star review. We will greatly appreciate it. It's the best way to support the channel, plus it's free. We are close to getting 100 five-star reviews, so make sure that you go ahead, give us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. The links to the podcast are down in the description down below. I want to talk about my biggest boomer bust teams going into the 2023 NFL season. Now, I don't know what your definition is for a boomer bust team, but my definition is these are teams that could end up being really good or they could end up being really terrible and the first team that I'm going to start off with are the Green Bay Packers now I think how good the Green Bay Packers are going to be this year is greatly going to depend on the play that they get out of their quarterback Jordan Love he's been sitting in the shadows behind Aaron Rodgers for the last couple of years and we don't really know what the hell to expect from this brother man This brother, sometimes you hear some great reports about him. Teammates are gassing him up. And then you have former teammates who don't have that much confidence in him. So it's really going to be interesting to see how Jordan Love is going to perform for the Green Bay Packers this year. And if Jordan Love ends up being good, that means that Green Bay would have once again struck on another franchise quarterback. They've already had a really great run with Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, Brett Starr. And imagine if they can continue that legacy with Jordan Love being a good QB. And there's definitely no reason why Jordan Love shouldn't have a successful season this year for the Packers. He has a good group of receivers. Jaden Reed, you got Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, you have a really good offensive line, and you got a really good running back core as well with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. And I think that Matt LaFleur is a pretty good head coach, although this is going to be a proven year for him. Also, this being the first season without him having Aaron Rodgers at the helm. And then this Green Bay Packers defense. Now, I know that a lot of people don't believe in Joe Barry, especially if you are a Packers fan. Joe Barry is probably the most hated defensive coordinator amongst Packers fans that they've had in a very long time. But 
this defense does have a good amount of talent. He dealt with some injuries last year. Rashawn Gary is coming back fully healthy before the Rashawn Gary got injured last year. He was in the running for a defensive player of the year, in my opinion. So the Green Bay Packers, if Jordan Love plays good and Joe Barry can get good play out of this defense... The Green Bay Packers, without a doubt, I feel are going to be a playoff team. But if Jordan Love ends up sucking through a, if Jordan Love ends up sucking water through a garden hose this year, the Packers probably are going to be in the running for being in the in the conversation to get either Drake May or Caleb Williams potentially. Maybe not so Caleb Williams, but more so Drake May or whatever good quarterback is coming out in next year's draft. The Atlanta Falcons. Now, the Atlanta Falcons are really interesting to me. A lot of Falcons fans feel like I'm sleeping on them. I'm not sleeping on the Falcons. As of right now, I don't know if the Falcons are a playoff team or if they're going to be a team that barely misses out on the postseason because I do like Atlanta's offense. Kyle Pitts, I think, is going to have a better season this year than what he had last year. You got Drake London, who... Had a really promising rookie season. I'm a big fan of B. John Robinson. Y'all know B. John Robinson is one of my favorite rookies coming into this year season. And then Desmond Ritter, who I don't really have a lot of confidence in. But it's not like they need Desmond Ritter to play at a high level. They got a pretty manageable schedule. They're in a weak division. I just don't know how that defense is going to look. And the Falcons fans that I've been talking to have tried to get me a little bit hyped about this defense. And they tried to say that this defense is going to be improved. They got a new defensive coordinator. But there's just no way you can tell me that signing 36-year-old Calais Campbell is going to greatly improve your defense. And I do feel like Atlanta has improved on that side of the football but have they improved enough to make it to the playoffs you traded for Jeff Okuda you don't know what you're going to get out of Jeff Okuda Jeff Okuda he was a up and down player during his time for the Detroit Lions during the first half of last year he was fantastic a lot of people forget but he clamped up Justin Jefferson and then during the second half of the season, he just completely fell off the cliff. So you don't really know how Jeff Okuda is going to perform this year. There's just a lot of question marks that I have about this Atlanta Falcons defense walking into this year. But if this defense plays well and this offense can gel and Desmond Ritter ends up making the necessary improvements needed, this is definitely going to be a team that's going to be in contention, not just to win their division, but also be able to make it to the postseason. And like I said, Desmond Ritter doesn't need to play like an all-star or an elite QB the Falcons are a run-heavy team Arthur Smith puts a lot of emphasis on running the football so Desmond Ritter just needs to be a good game manager take care of the football and make big throws and big moments when needed and if he can do that that's going to increase the Falcons chances of making it to the postseason and I also think if this defense can play at a good level they have a really strong chance of being able to win the NFC South this year and making it to the playoffs we got another NFC South team on this list we got the New Orleans Saints you guys already know that I'm not a big believer in the Saints this year simply for the fact that they have Dennis Allen as their head coach and Saints fans have a bevy of excuses that they make for Dennis Allen oh it's Pete Carmichael well if Pete Carmichael was the problem why didn't Dennis Allen get rid of him 
He's still an offensive coordinator, and he's still going to be calling plays. And I get that the Saints dealt with a lot of injuries last year, especially when it came to their offensive line. But Sean Payton, in his final season with New Orleans, he went 9-8 and eight with four different quarterbacks. He was 5-1 and one with Jameis Winston at one point. And then he goes down, and he's finding ways to win games with Taysom Hill, Trevor Simeon, and Ian Book with the worst receiving core in the league that year. New Orleans' best receiver, Sean Payton's final season, was Marquez Callaway. So if Sean Payton can go 9-8 and eight with a worse team than what Dennis Allen had to work with last year, why did Dennis Allen win only seven games? Imagine if Sean Payton would have had last year last year's New Orleans team. They probably would have made it to the postseason. I'm not a big believer in New Orleans, but if Dennis Allen ends up proving me wrong and he ends up being a good head coach or at least a solid head coach, good enough to win one of the weakest divisions in the NFL, then I think that the Saints are going to be able to make it to the playoffs without a doubt. They have a very talented team. My concern with New Orleans just lies with the coaching, and I don't know if the coaching is good enough to lock them in as a playoff team. The Cleveland Browns are a team that has not just the potential to make it to the playoffs, but they also have the potential, crazily enough, to make it to the Super Bowl. This is the definition of a boom or bust team. The Cleveland Browns are either going to be really good or they're going to be a team that underachieves and wins seven or maybe six games. Kevin Stefanski I really don't know if I would label him a bad coach. I don't think he is a bad coach. I do think that he does a pretty good job managing the Cleveland Browns. He's really good when it comes to getting the most out of the run game. You bring in Jim Schwartz to be your defensive coordinator who is highly respected around the NFL. His defenses normally are pretty good. They improve the interior of that defensive line. They brought in a lot of bodies, and that run defense should be way better this season than what it was last year. And then you have Deshaun Watson who, after he got done serving his suspension, he looked really rusty. But if Deshaun Watson can bounce back this year, which many people believe that he will, I think the Browns can be in the postseason. But they're going to be in the toughest division in the NFL. You're going against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who although the Browns may have a better roster than Mike Tomlin is a hell of a coach. And then you got the Baltimore Ravens and the Cincinnati Bengals, who are good enough to be Super Bowl contenders this year. For the Cleveland Browns, it's either go big or go home for them this year. This is one of the most talented teams in the AFC. They do have the upside of being able to contend for a Super Bowl, which may sound crazy, but this is a really good roster. They pretty much don't have any concerns outside of if that run defense is going to improve and their linebacker unit outside of JOK. I'm not really big on who they have at linebacker, but for the most part, the Cleveland Browns have a pretty solid roster that if everything goes right, don't be surprised if you end up seeing them in the AFC Championship game. They can be that good this year, but also things could go really bad. Maybe Deshaun Watson doesn't bounce back. Maybe Kevin Stefanski kind of just loses his luster as a head coach. The Cleveland Browns are the definition of a boom or bust team, and they probably ahead of the New Orleans Saints on this list, are the biggest boomer bust team heading into this season. And then lastly, we got the New York Jets. I couldn't leave the Jets off this list. Now, I'm high on the New York Jets. A lot of people in the national media 
aren't as high on the New York Jets as I am, but I think that them trading for Aaron Rodgers makes them a Super Bowl contender. And I think that Aaron Rodgers is going to bounce back to what he was prior to his final season with the Green Bay Packers. It seems like we seem to forget prior to 2022, Aaron Rodgers was the NFL MVP in back-to-back years. And yes, he is getting up there in age, but Tom Brady was still dominating at the age of 40. The majority of quarterbacks in today's NFL are playing wells up until they're 40. So I don't think that Aaron Rodgers is just dramatically going to fall off the cliff. And people seem to forget that the New York Jets have a damn good defense. One thing that kept the New York Jets alive, despite having awful QB play with Joe Flacco decent QB play out of Mike White and Zach Wilson not being great was because of how good Sauce Gardner and Robert Sala's defense was last year and we're about to talk about the New York Jets later on but the New York Jets if everything goes right and if Aaron Rodgers plays at a solid level they don't even need Aaron Rodgers to be what he used to be in Green Bay although they would love for that to happen All they need for Aaron Rodgers to do is be better than what the New York Jets have had at quarterback over the last decade. Who's been the quarterback for the New York Jets? What, Mark Sanchez, Sam Darnold, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Zach Wilson? The bar isn't set too high for quarterback play in the Big Apple if you're a Jets fan. So if you can get top 12, top 13 quarterback play out of Aaron Rodgers, I think that's going to be good enough for you to win this division maybe or at least be able to get a wild card spot in the postseason because this defense is going to be good enough to be able to slow down the Bills and the Miami Dolphins offense. So as long as Aaron Rodgers can take care of the football and be better than Zach Wilson, which shouldn't be hard to do, I think that the New York Jets are going to be a playoff team. But if Aaron Rodgers completely has fallen off the cliff and he's not good and he just doesn't have it anymore, the New York Jets are going to be pretty bad. And there's going to be a lot of people getting the pink slip at the end of the season. And there's a lot of pressure on Robert Sala going into this year. I think Robert Sala is a really good coach. It's just that they whiffed on the quarterback position. And anytime you whiff at quarterback, it sets your franchise back a couple of years. And nine times out of 10, the guys who were responsible for making that pick end up losing their job. So there's a lot riding on Aaron Rodgers. Not only are the New York Jets expecting to be Super Bowl contenders with the addition of Aaron Rodgers, but Robert Sala and Joe Douglas, their their jobs are potentially on the shoulders of Aaron Rodgers. These are my biggest boomer bust teams Heading into the 2023 NFL season, let me know if there's some teams that you feel I left out on this list. Leave them down in the comment section down below and let me know if there's a team on this list that you disagree with. The New York Jets schedule for the first half of this year is incredibly tough and I've been hearing a lot of people saying that they don't know if the New York Jets are going to be able to survive and still remain in the playoff conversation after their first couple of games. But I think that the New York Jets are going to be way better than what people are giving them credit for. And they're my pick to win this division. I think the Dolphins have a really good shot at winning it. I'm not counting out the Buffalo Bills, but I still believe that Aaron Rodgers has a lot of juice left in the tank. Now, he may not have a lot of playing years left, but I do think that Aaron Rodgers is still capable of playing at a really high level. This guy was a back-to-back MVP winner nearly a year ago. And after one down season we just completely forget about it 
Aaron Rodgers has the most talented team that he's ever had in all his years playing with the Green Bay Packers. And that may be a bold statement to say, but what have the New York Jets given Aaron Rodgers that he wasn't able to get during his time with the Packers? A good group of receivers. Outside of Devontae Adams over the last couple of years, who else was stepping up at wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers? You got Garrett Wilson, you got Miko Hartman, you bring and reunite Aaron Rodgers with his former teammate, Alan Lazard, you bring in Randall Cobb, and I think that this offensive line is going to be a little bit better than what some people may think. I don't think the New York Jets have one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. Makai Becton is only a bust or in the bust conversation, not because the dude can't play, but because the dude can't stay healthy when he's on the field. He's a damn good player, and this is going to be one of the best defenses in the NFL. They had a really good defense last year, and they gave the Buffalo Bills a really hard time last year when they played. This is going to be a hard defense to score on. And when you look at the New York Jets' first eight games, it is really tough. It's one of the toughest schedules in the NFL, but they're not the only team that has to play a tough schedule. You got to play the Buffalo Bills week one, which is a winnable game because that's your division rival. Anytime that you play a team in the division, you have an equal chance to beat them and lose to them at the same time. So I think that the Jets are capable of being able to beat the Buffalo Bills to start the regular season. And the Buffalo Bills have a lot of turmoil going on right now. You talk about the New York Jets and how they're going to look and their potential to implode. The Buffalo Bills are definitely a team that should be on that list of teams that possibly could underachieve this year. Stephon Diggs wants more targets. He's being the diva. He's being the drama queen. And anytime you have a player like that and an distraction in your locker room like that, it can hold back the performance of your team. So I think that's a winnable game. Then you got to go on the road to play Dallas and Jerry's World. Now, the Dallas Cowboys are a really good team. All right, I think that the Dallas Cowboys have won the best chances to win a Super Bowl than they have had since the 90s when you could watch them win Super Bowls on your VHS tapes. And you know that Aaron Rodgers owns Dallas. Every time Aaron Rodgers goes against the Dallas Cowboys, he always has some of his best games. And Cowboy fans will even admit that. As delusional as most of that fan base is, one thing that they always agree with is the fact that Aaron Rodgers kind of owns them. So you could go 2-0 your first two games, and then you got to play the Patriots at home. Now, I love me some Bill Belichick. I think Mac Jones is going to be able to bounce back, but I don't think the Patriots are going to be all that good this year. And New York Jets have a really tough defense. And if the New England Patriots can't get DeAndre Hopkins, I'm going to have a tough time looking at that receiving core and saying, yeah, New England's offense is going to be good enough to score more than 10 points on the New York Jets defense. And then you got to play Kansas City. Now, you get to Kansas City, right? You're playing them at home. And once again, the New York Jets are always going to be a good defensive team. This defense is good enough to slow down the Chiefs offense. Now, I'm not saying that the Jets are going to shut down Kansas City and they're going to hold them to 0-3 or just 10 points. But this defense is good enough to give this offense chances to win this game. Patrick Mahomes, I doubt that he's going to go against Robert Sala's defense and go for four touchdowns, no interceptions, and 300, 400 yards. So even though I do feel like Kansas City will win that game, that is a game that the New York Jets can win. 
The Denver Broncos, you're going on the road to face Russell Wilson and Sean Payton. It's really tough to win on the road in Mile High, and the Denver Broncos are going to be a better and more improved football team than what they were last year. You're not going to be facing broken down Russell Wilson. You're going to be facing a rejuvenated and a Russell Wilson that's going to be revived under the coaching of Sean Payton. And it's definitely going to be an interesting chess match Watching Robert Sala and his defense versus the Denver Broncos offense coached by Sean Payton. I think that's going to be one of the more underrated games of the season. I feel that could go either way. Then you got to play Philadelphia at home before your bye week. And then your last two games after your bye before your schedule starts to get easy are against the New York Giants and the Los Angeles Chargers. I think worst case scenario for the New York Jets, in my opinion, they go five and three during this stretch of their first eight games of this year. Now, my best case scenario, and some of y'all may call me a little bit delusional, but I say seven and one. I think there's a real possibility that the Jets could end up having one of the best records in the AFC this year. They do have a really solid team. The only thing that they've been missing is quarterback. You can talk about the offensive line all you want to, but the offensive line wasn't costing them games last year. It was the awful QB play. I think that offensive line was good enough to give those quarterbacks a shot at winning. They nearly went to the playoffs with some of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. So imagine what they can do with an improved Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers, low-key, kind of improves their offensive line with his ability to extend plays, buy time for receivers to get open, and how good he is moving within side of the pocket. LSU last year surprised a lot of people year one under head coach Brian Kelly. Although this guy doesn't have a good southern accent and he doesn't have good dance move this guy proved that he was a really good head coach last season based on how LSU performed last year and let's just be honest LSU kind of overachieved last year because be honest if you're an LSU fan did you really think that your team was going to make it all the way to the SEC championship game year one under Brian Kelly. There were a good amount of people who were doubting if this hire was even going to work, even though Brian Kelly has several decades of head coaching experience and he's won at the highest of levels in college football. But you look at LSU going 10-4 and in 2022, and you wonder if in 2023 this year, what's going to be their encore performance? Is this a team that's capable of being able to repeat as SEC West champions and potentially winning the SEC championship this year and stepping their ticket to the college football playoffs? Now, quarterback Jaden Daniels returns. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC, one of the best quarterbacks in college football overall. And he was really fantastic last year. We talk about the performance that Bryce Young had for Alabama, how he kind of carried Alabama on his back. Jaden Daniels, in my opinion, carried LSU on his back. He led the team in rushing touchdowns and rushing yards. And that offensive line that he had blocking in front of him last year was not good at all. I mean, that was one of the worst pass-blocking offensive lines in the SEC last year. And that's your biggest question going into this year if you're a fan of LSU. How improved is your offensive line going to be? If you're going to be a team that ends up beating Georgia in the SEC championship potentially, you got to be able to block up front. We saw what Jalen Carter did to this offensive line last year. 
He was basically a one-man wrecking crew. He ended up getting to Daniel, Jaden Daniels and holding this guy up with literally one arm. So this offensive line, if this is going to be a team that's going to be capable of being able to win this conference, they got to be way better up front. Now, when you look at their wide receiving core and the talent that they have at running back, they're stacked. You have Malik Neighbors, not just one of the best wide receivers in the SEC, but one of the best wide receivers in all of college football. He potentially could be a first-round pick in next year's draft. You got tight end Mason Taylor, who was one of the best freshman tight ends in college football last year. He's definitely somebody who I have circled this year who could be a breakout player for LSU this year. And at the defensive side of the football or on the defensive side of the football, this is one of the most talented defenses that LSU has had in recent memory. We know about the Wolverine that they have at middle linebacker and Harold Perkins. This guy is a demigod. He's like, uh, I don't even know how to describe him, man. This guy is like half man, half machine. And then you got defensive tackle Mason Smith, one of the best interior defensive linemen in all of college football. And there's some key transfers that I really like. You got Deuce Chestnut from Syracuse. He was one of the best cornerbacks for Syracuse and one of the best cornerbacks in the ACC conference. You got Oregon State transfer linebacker Omar Spates. I watched a lot of Oregon State last year. He was probably their best defensive player last year. And then you look at the talent and depth that they have on the defensive line and that secondary. LSU's defense is good enough to slow down some of the high-powered offenses that they're going to face this season. And week one, you got your biggest test of the season right out the gate. Neutral side game against Florida State. We saw how that game went last year. And LSU, they're going into this season with payback on their mind. And what makes that game very interesting is that you have two teams that have high expectations going into this year. You have two teams that many people feel could end up being able to make it to the college football playoffs and being able to kind of bring like some different flavor to the playoff conversation. LSU went to the playoffs in 2019, but it kind of seems like we forgot all about that 2019. It seems like it was a decade ago when that happened, although it happened not too long ago. And then you got Florida State who's trying to get back to the college football playoffs somewhere that they haven't been since the playoffs first got implemented in college football. So that's going to be one of the biggest games of the whole entire college football season. And we get it the first week of the regular season. Then you get to play Grambling State, Mississippi State. Those should be two pretty easy wins. Grambling State, I think you should pretty much roll over them. Mississippi State, no disrespect to them, but I think that that should be a pretty easy game for you. So potentially, depending on the outcome of that Florida State game, you're going into that Arkansas game, either 3-0 or 2-1. And then after you play Arkansas, which I think you should be able to take care of them, you got to play Ole Miss and you got to play Missouri back-to-back games on the road. Missouri, I've been telling you guys all offseason, the Emma Missouri stands for mid. Missouri is not a good team. I think they are a mediocre team at best under head coach Eli Drinkowitz. They should take care of business. And then you got to play Ole Miss before you play Missouri. Ole Miss could be a little bit of a challenge 
for LSU this year. I think Lane Kiffin has a pretty good squad going into this year. I don't know if they're going to play a lot of defense this year. I doubt that they will, but you are going to have a team that's going to have a really good offense. Now, we don't know who's going to be starting at quarterback for Ole Miss, Spencer Sanders, Jackson Dardo, whoever, but I think that Lane Kiffin has proven more than enough that his offenses always end up being pretty good regardless who he has at quarterback. So that could be a pretty big test for LSU. Then you got to play Auburn, which I don't think Auburn is going to be a game that you just look over this year. I think Hugh Freeze is definitely going to have Auburn playing at a high level this year, especially around this time of the season. Auburn should be hitting their strides offensively under head coach Hugh Freeze. You got to play Army, which you should win that game. And then you have your bye week. And then this is where your schedule gets a little bit tough. You got to go on the road to Tuscaloosa. And you got to beat them for the second consecutive year in a row. Now, I can't remember the last time Nick Saban has lost to the same team in back-to-back years. But I know it's been a while. And it's very hard to beat Alabama at home. LSU, LSU fans, be honest with yourself. You barely beat Alabama last year. It came down to a last minute or last second, second um two-point conversion that ended up winning the game for you, but that was at home. Playing Alabama and Tuscaloosa is a different animal. They haven't lost in Tuscaloosa since 2019, which you guys were the one who gave them that L. And before that, they hadn't lost at home in four years prior to 2019, which was against Ole Miss in 2015. So if you're going to beat Alabama, you need to play not just your best football, but one of the best games that you've ever played because that's going to be the kind of effort that it takes to beat a Nick Saban coach team in Tuscaloosa. And I don't know if LSU wins that game. I do believe that they will beat Florida State, but I don't know if they're going to beat Alabama for a second straight year in a row. But even if you lose that game, if that's your only loss, you should still be in the playoff conversation. You should still have a chance at being able to win the SEC West. It's just that you kind of won't control your own destiny. It just depends on the situation and the scenario that gets laid out. And then your final three games, Florida, which you should win, and then Georgia State, you should roll them. And then you got to play dreaded Texas A&M, the team that upset you last year and pretty much ended your hopes of being able to make it to the college football playoffs before you ended up having to play Georgia. And Texas A&M is going to be a really good team this year. Jimbo Fisher with the hiring of Bobby Petrino, I feel like that's going to reinvigorate that program. And I feel like Texas A&M is going to be in the conversation to win the West. You can say I'm tripping. You can call me delusional all you want to, but Texas A&M has a really talented football team, and I think that their team is just as good as LSU going into this year, and I know you LSU fans are not going to disagree with me, but I think that Texas A&M is being really slept on this year. So I think the floor for LSU this year is nine wins, and the ceiling for LSU is 11. And of course, some of you are going to say, man, the ceiling is 12 wins. We can go undefeated. You most definitely can, but... I have a hard time seeing you beating both FSU and Alabama. FSU is going to have a great team this year, and you're going to have to beat Alabama at home. One of those games, you're probably going to lose. Now, maybe you could lose another game. Maybe you potentially lose to Texas A&M again, or maybe you get upset by Ole Miss. Maybe Auburn can give you an upset. But I have LSU going 10-2 this year. 
possibly 11 and 1. I think that this is one of the best teams in the SEC this year, probably the second or either the best team, either ahead of Alabama or behind of Alabama, depending on who you ask. I think they got a really good shot at winning the West. I don't know if they're going to be good enough to beat Georgia this year. I think they have the talent to give Georgia a close game. It just depends on how good that offensive line is going to be. On your defensive line, I think you're going to be able to give Georgia's offensive line some problems because I don't think that this is going to be a defensive line that's going to get pushed around by anybody. You got a lot of NFL caliber guys on this defensive line. Mason Smith is expected to be a first-round pick in next year's draft. Harold Perkins, you saw what he did his freshman season. Imagine what he's going to be doing his second year with this program. And your secondary is absolutely loaded. So for LSU, I think they can win either 10 or 11 games. And when it comes to their chances of being able to make it to the college football playoffs, I most definitely think they got a very good shot but I don't know if they're going to be able to beat Alabama this year. I really think if LSU has one loss, it's going to come to playing Alabama, having to play them on the road in Tuscaloosa, a place that not too many teams are able to, to get wins at. But let me know how you guys are feeling about LSU down in the comment section down below. Oklahoma, year one under Brent Venables, this was a major disappointment. And I wasn't expecting anything fantastic from Oklahoma last year. I thought they were at least going to be able to win seven, eight games. But they went six and seven and three and six in Big 12 play. Like, this is kind of unacceptable. And I already know what you Oklahoma fans are about to do. You're about to come in the comment section and type a lot of excuses. Just save it, man. Brent Venable's first season with Oklahoma was a massive disappointment. And it's not really because of the record. It's really because of how awful this defense was. Brent Venables, prior to arriving at Oklahoma, he was regarded as the best defense in mind in most people's eyes in college football. And last year, they were 104th in stopping the run, and they were 116th in stopping the pass. So if Oklahoma is going to have a better season this year and year two under Brent Venables, this defense has to improve. You cannot go into the SEC having another season like what you did last year. And I get that Oklahoma has brought in some really good recruits. They had a really good recruiting class last year, and their current recruiting class for next year looks pretty good as well. But this defense has to make some improvements. And if you're Oklahoma and you're a fan of the Sooners, if you go into the SEC having only won six, seven games again, Things are going to be looking kind of bleak down there in Norman. And this defense definitely has the talent to be better than what it was last year. Your run defense should improve because you bring in a good amount of talent on the interior of that defensive line. You also brought in some pretty good transfers. There's a transfer that you have from Wake Forest. I can't pronounce his name properly, so I'm not going to embarrass myself, but he had eight sacks for the Demon Dinkins in 2021, and he had six sacks last season in 2022. And there's secondary should be really solid this year you bring in Reggie Pearson transfer from Texas Tech really good player for the Red Raiders then you got Billy Bowman who was one of the best players in your secondary last year he had three interceptions he had a couple of pass breakups as well and I think that he's a pretty good tackler as well and when you look at their cornerback position there's a lot of upside in this cornerback room 
Gentry Williams was highly touted when he was coming out of high school. Woody Washington was probably their best cornerback last year, in my opinion. And I look at linebacker, you got Danny Stutzman, who probably is the best defensive player on Oklahoma's roster going into this year. This defense most definitely has the talent to be able to produce at a higher level than what they did last year. And Brent Venables is a defensive-minded head coach, so if the defense ends up being awful once again, Oklahoma is not going to be all that good. If you are somebody who specializes on the defense side of the football, then the defense should not be the worst position on your team. It should be a strength. So if the defense continues to struggle, I think that's pretty much going to be the indicator that Brent Venables isn't going to work out for Oklahoma, despite how good they've been on the recruiting trail. Now, their offense, I'm not worried about it at all. I know there's some concerns about the offensive line, but one thing that Oklahoma does a pretty good job at is producing really good offensive linemen. They've had a lot of offensive linemen that have been drafted into the NFL over the last couple of years. And then you have Jeff Lebby as your offensive coordinator. I think this offense is going to be fine. You return Dylan Gabriel at QB. He's one of the more underrated quarterbacks in college football. And if he would have played against Texas, that game could have been a lot different. Listen, I love me some Eric Gray, but you don't know how surprised I was to see him lining up a Wildcat quarterback for Oklahoma. Like when I saw them running that Wildcat offense against Texas, I knew it was going to be a long game for Sooners fans, man. You cannot go into a rivalry game with no QB. What happened to that quarterback they had with the with the fun name, General Booty? Where was he at? Can an Oklahoma fan tell me what happened to General Booty? Why didn't he play in that game? Because I was trying to look it up and I couldn't find any answers. So I don't, I really want to know where was General Booty at last year. And then you look at what they have at wide receiver. Drake Stoops is pretty good. You also have a couple of other guys who return as well. And then you got a couple of big pickups in the transfer portal. You got a really good receiver out of Michigan who does have a lot of upside. But my favorite transfer for Oklahoma on the offensive side of the football was former Texas wide receiver Brandon Thompson. This guy has elite speed, and he reminds me a lot of Jalen Hyatt. For those of you guys who was watching the Vols offense last year, Jalen Hyatt won the Belintikoff Award last year. He was the dude who had 200 yards and five touchdowns against Alabama's defense last year. He has a really skimless skill set to him, and if you can get him out in space, I think he could end up having some really big plays for this offense. And I think he could be one of the guys who could end up breaking out for Oklahoma's offense this year. Now, your offensive line is a little bit of a concern to me, but I'm not fretting it too much. You did lose three starters. And anytime you lose three starters, is definitely going to take a little bit of work to replace them. But I don't think that the offensive line should struggle this year. I would be a little bit surprised if it did, given the fact that Oklahoma has a really good track record when it comes to developing quarterbacks. Now, how they're going to perform year two under head coach Brent Venables, I think the floor is seven wins and the ceiling is going to be nine wins. I probably would lean eight wins this season. I don't think Oklahoma is falling off the cliff. I don't think they have an incredibly tough schedule, neither. You got to play Arkansas State to start the season. Then you got to play SMU, which isn't going to be an easy game. 
And if Oklahoma doesn't show up in that game, they don't bring their A game against SMU, that definitely is a game that they could end up losing because Rhett Lashley and SMU, I don't know if you guys been keeping up with what they've been doing over there, but the Mustangs bring in a pretty good transfer portal class. And I don't know why people are deciding to go to SMU, but I do remember that at one point, they had a top five, top 10 recruiting class. Well, not recruiting class, but transfer portal class. So I don't know if they got some money over there at SMU that they've been spending on the transfer portal to bring some of these guys in or what's been the reason why people are transferring to SMU all of a sudden but don't sleep on this offense Red Lastly is one of the best offensive-minded coaches in college football his offenses can produce a lot of points and the Brett Venables defense struggles again this year I think that this SMU game is going to be the early indicator of that so if you're an Oklahoma fan, you need to have that SMU game circled on your calendar. That's the game that's going to kind of be an indicator for how this season may go for you defensively. And then you got to play Tulsa. Then you got Cincinnati, which you should be able to win both of those games. So at worst, you're going again to conference play 3-1, best case scenario 4-0 against Iowa State. And then you got Texas, which is going to be the big game that everybody's going to be looking at. And if you're Brent Venables, if you have another performance like how you did last year, I don't know if you stay around for Oklahoma's move to the SEC, man. Maybe you do because of the optimism. And maybe they don't want to go into a new conference with a new head coach. But imagine getting blown out by Texas for the second year in a row with an actual QB this time. I don't think that would be a good look, and I do think that Texas has the best team in the Big 12 this year. I definitely think that this is going to be the year that they actually live up to the hype. So if Oklahoma loses this game, I know Oklahoma fans are going to be upset because it's a rivalry game, but if they can keep it close, I think that I wouldn't be too upset about that. Texas just has a one of the best rosters in college football. If they don't live up to expectations this year, then that says more about them than it does Oklahoma. And then you got to play UCF, which you probably should be able to beat UCF. It's their first year in the Big 12, even though they're coming off the best recruiting class that they've had in recent memory and they've hit the transfer portal pretty hard. I don't think they're going to be a great team in this conference. I think at best they're going to be a middle of the pack, con uh, middle of the pack team in this conference. And then the biggest games of the year in terms of this conference has to be Oklahoma, Kansas. Kansas, I think, is definitely being heavily overlooked and underrated. Before Jalen Daniels went down with that injury that he suffered last year, Kansas was 5-0 at one point, and he was in the running for being a legitimate contender for the Heisman Trophy. And they have the most production out of any team in the Big 12 that comes back this year, and they're only going to get better. So for Oklahoma, that Kansas game is going to be really big. And then your last three games of the season – Oklahoma State, which I kind of think is starting to trend down now under head coach Mike Gundy. You got to play BYU on the road. BYU is going to be a tough team. They're going to be physical. They may not be good, but this definitely isn't a team that you're just going to push around and blow out. This is going to be a team that's going to give you a dogfight. And then you have TCU to close out the season. So my ceiling for Oklahoma this year is nine wins. Worst case scenario, seven wins. Overall, this is a roster that I think should be capable of being able to win eight games. Now, if they end up winning seven, 
I would view that as a little bit of a disappointment because their schedule is not too tough. And some of you guys may argue that this should be a 10-win team and potentially be able to compete for a spot in the Big 12 title game, which they definitely do have the talent. I think they have the second best odds at this moment right behind Texas to win this conference. So the talent definitely is there, but I do think that there's...